God bless you. Thank you. I would say after service. Yeah. Amen. Would you open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 8? I am fighting allergies. How many have ever got allergies during this season? It's as the season changed, man, I get it. And my hobby is in the water. And when I go in the water, because I like to wakeboard, I get it all in the places that you're not supposed to have it, in your ears, nose, and mouth. And then it just blows me up like this, okay? So if you just want to stretch your hand toward me and say, help him, Jesus. Amen. So normally my voice sounds like a 58 Chevy that's been well-tuned. Today is struggling a little bit. But I have the fire in my belly. I'm excited for baptisms. How many are excited for baptisms today? Amen. And I know that you're more than capable elders and deacons of taking my place if that ever is needed. But I, I am just so honored today to preach. I want to preach the part four on a mini-series we've been in the book of John. So we're going verse by verse through the book, book of John. And then we got parked in chapter eight. And we've been here now for about four weeks. Somebody say slaves to sin versus sanctified sons. Now say it again with me. Slaves to sin or sanctified sons? Thank you. And the beauty of this passage can really be summed up in these two portions that come, one at the beginning and the other at the end. Look at the beginning here of John chapter 8, verse 31. And those who have missed it or are new, all of our sermons are online. You can hear me read through every verse here. But today I'm just going to be pointing out the buns of this passage. Somebody say the buns. Amen. This is called an inclusio in theological terms. It's when the speaker starts off with something and then gives a lot of meat and ends with a summary of that something they just talked about. So you can look at it as two buns with the meat in the middle. Everybody say inclusio. Thank you. It's a big word that basically talks about a sandwich. Now look at verse 31 with me. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free or those in the King James, it's what? Make you free. Now this is the first bun. You have to know Jesus. You have to know who he is. These Jews had believed in him. How many here today believe in Jesus? Amen. Now notice what Jesus says to us. People like us, people who believe. Jesus says, now you need to hold to my teachings. You cannot merely say, I have a mental belief in God. You have to have an action plan to serve God. Some people say they believe in God like they believe in Santa Claus and do nothing for him. This is not a make-believe, but rather this is a belief that moves you to do something by faith. The old example of the preacher, and one day I would love to see where this example came from. But the example from the preachers of this is that one day there was a person doing a tight rope exhibition, possibly crossing the Grand Canyon, and they were crossing it on a unicycle. So everybody just get this crazy guy in your head, you know, somebody riding a unicycle on a tightrope across something that's really high, almost like it's suicidal, but you know they practice for it, right? So he went over there and he did it on his unicycle. Everybody cheered. It was a big deal. And then he said, how many would like to see me do it with somebody on my shoulders? And of course, the crowd went wild. Wow, that would be crazy. You're not only going to ride your unicycle across the Grand Canyon or across this high building, wherever he was at, but now you're going to do it with somebody on your shoulders. I want to see that. So you know what he did? He picked out the person shouting the loudest, and he said, meet me here tomorrow and get on my shoulders. You see how many know everybody there was having some kind of faith in that man, but it took a whole different kind of faith to be willing to come to the next day and get on that dude's shoulders and let him ride you across the other side. See, our friends in, in our, on our jobs and in our families, they say all the time, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. Don't they say those kinds of things? Have you heard them talk like that before? But does it look like they're riding with Jesus? Does it look like they're trusting Jesus? 
Does it look like they've put their lives in Jesus' hands and let him take control? No. They don't want what Jesus is offering. And as we read through the context of this story, these people go from being believers to being offended. And the reason why they get offended is because Jesus says, you'll get set free. And instead of them admitting, hey, I've got problems that I need to get set free from, they start to try to defend themselves and say, I don't have any problems, therefore I don't need freedom. And of course, Jesus rebukes them and shows them that in actuality, they are slaves to the devil. There is spiritual slavery happening even in this room right now. If I could see in the eyes of the Spirit, I would see that many in this room, you have a slave master. And he's a wicked, evil slave master called the devil. But here's how he operates. He can't just kidnap you and take you as his own. He has to lure you in to his power and authority. And Jesus said the way that he does it is by sin. So that when you and I sin, we become the slave to sin. If you don't believe me, look at it clearly in the scripture. Jesus says in verse 34, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a what? Slave to sin. So did those Jewish people need to get set free? Absolutely. They needed to be set free. Have all of us at one time or another needed to be set free? Of course, yes, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If anyone here wants to say they haven't sinned, I would love to meet you and give you the good person test. You want to know what the good person test is? It's the Ten Commandments. Have you ever told a lie? And then don't lie now. Tell me the truth. Have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? That's stealing. Have you ever lusted after someone you weren't married to? That's adultery. Have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? Have you ever put something before God as an idol? Have you ever been covetous of what someone else has that you don't have? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Come on, how many know we're all failing the good person test? There's really nobody good, the Bible says. We're all wicked in that sense. And yet God in his righteousness does not leave us as slaves to sin. Please go back to the previous verses in verse 32. What is Jesus saying to them? If you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. But you have to believe that you need to be set free. Today we have parades for pride. And the Bible says pride is a sin. As a matter of fact, if you were to trace back the fruit of every sin, not just those in the LGB STD community, but if you were to trace back every sin, heterosexual pornography, anger and lust, or thievery and corruption, if you were to trace back the fruit of every sin to its root, do you know what it would be? Pride. What's the middle letter of pride? I, serving the unholy trinity, not the one of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, but of me, myself, and I. If people cannot admit that they're sinners, then how can they ever cry out for freedom? If you're out parading your sin in pride, then how can you ever ask Jesus to set you free? And I can relate to that. And I know many of us here can because we have been sinners in pride denying that we ever needed the help to begin with. And what a sad state that must be for God to see us in. It would almost be like me looking at my child. This is, um, you know, a silly example, but I think it could serve its purpose. Does anybody here ever have children that love to have boogies coming down their face and get in the dirt and then dirt and boogies and then sweat? Has anybody ever dealt with children that look like that? Or is that just me and my crazy kids? Okay, it's not you. Okay, you guys better parents than me. I got one brother going to admit it. Okay. But my children will do this. They'll go outside, boogies in their face, dirt on their hands, wiping it all over their face, eating pizza. I forgot about that. Pizza smeared in the boogies with dirt. And then they just come around me like nothing's wrong. 
Want to give me hugs and kisses? Now, how many know a good parent is going to say, hold up. Wait a minute. Let me get them baby wipes. Go get those baby wipes. I got to wipe something here. We've got to stop the party. We got to stop this plan that you have. And we've got to, we got to wipe this up. That's me. I keep baby wipes around all the time. They're all over my house. They're in different parts of my house because I can't look at my children with the same love and admiration with all that going on. It grosses me out. Now, how do you think the father sees us in our sin? He sees us all defiled by the evil, the wickedness, all the things that we've done, all of the attitudes all of the things that we've given into that the devil has concocted. Do you know that there are some things that haven't even come from the human mind, but they are foisted upon us by demons to kill a child in the womb when we are the most scientifically advanced to where we can operate on the baby in the womb. We will also kill it and call it a right. And then when it's taken away to scream and holler, this had to come from a demon. Not only do we get ourselves in trouble with our own sin, but there are demons and wicked principalities, authorities, and powers, the Bible says, trying to get us to sin even more, even more. And God looks at us like how Jesus was looking at them, saying, okay, you believe, but now you've got to hold to my teachings so that you can know the truth about how you've been living. Now you can know the truth about what this looks like. And that's why I want to say to every spiritual slave in this place, you may even like your sin right now, but you are being deceived. The truth will set you free. We have in this church former drug addicts, former adulterers, former homosexuals and lesbians and transgender, and they can all testify that it's better to be free and to know and love Jesus than to be blinded and deceived by temporary pleasures. Everybody in America knows how deceiving temporary pleasures are. Just look at the scale. Come on, wake up in the morning and look at that scale. We are deceived. You know that we're the most obese that we've ever been? And imagine somebody coming to us saying, I'll get you all in shape and you'll know that truth. And that truth is going to get you free from diabetes. It's going to get you free from obesity. And imagine us to get mad at that trainer. Say, how dare you take my chocolate cake away from me? How dare you tell me that drinking pop four times a day is bad for me? I talked to a kid the other day at the Wake Park, and he said, I'm addicted to Mountain Dew. He had the big supersized gulp. He, he, he couldn't even get enough of it after he drank all that. He could go for seconds and thirds. <laughs> Drinking purple, whatever it was, blue Mountain Dew. Now they got in all these colors, neon cards. There's nothing natural about that. But yet, we have all of these people that have these addictions to food, and yet what do we have all across our, our cities now, even buying up these old office complex, old grocery stores? We have all these gyms. It's not a shortage of gyms. There's enough gyms right now for us all to go and be a part of. But how many know those gyms caught on to something? They don't need to have you come every week to make money. All they need you to do is buy the membership, and they'll make money whether you come or not. And as a matter of fact, nothing against gym ownership. It's a smart model. They count on you not coming all the time. Because if everybody who had their membership actually came, they couldn't fit you all. You know that sign they have by the drinking fountain. Max capacity, 150 people or so on. You know there's more than 150 members in that gym. And you see, we get mad at the trainer, or we could get mad at the people in our lives pointing these things out. We could say how unfair it is. No, but there's a gym on every corner to get you free. It's up to you whether or not you want to go and meet that trainer or go get on that diet, and it's up to us. You see, God did his part. He's asking us to do ours. His part is the most important, even more so than a gym, because a gym's going to take you through a process to get that freedom from your obesity or being overweight or out of shape. 
But Jesus says in the moment you believe in him, you go from being a slave to sin to being a sanctified son. Listen to what he says in verse 35. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Somebody say indeed. Amen. Indeed. You will be free indeed. I didn't take 12 steps to get out of drugs. I took one step to Jesus Christ, and I haven't done drugs since 1995. Amen. Does anybody have a testimony where Jesus did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself? I know him like that. That's the son of God who set me free. Haven't looked at pornography since 96. Sir, can you say the same? See, I've been set free by the son. I haven't got into a fight. I haven't done these kinds of things that I used to be a slave to since that day. And the things that I may deal with after that day, because I haven't been sinless since Jesus set me free, but I have certainly sinned less. How many have sinned less since they've been made sinless by Jesus? Once Jesus forgives you, you don't want to go back to that mud. There's something about the purity of the heart that you would rather keep than go back to those temporary pleasures. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was delivering pizzas, and I had to go drop some off at the hotel in my community. And when I went over there, I saw some of my friends get in their room for the weekend. Did anybody ever have friends that would get rooms at the hotel? It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Any Pentecostals with the testimony? Yeah, my friends were crazy. They're getting the hotel room, man. We didn't, at that time, we couldn't afford to have nice places to party. You know, you'd bring people over to your house. They would want to leave, you know. And it gets cold. You can't do it always out in your backyard or the police get cold on you. So my friends, like most people, got slick to the game, man. $100, 50 bucks a night, $100 for Friday and Saturday, man. Get that hotel room for the weekend. That's how my friends live. Get a hotel room. Let's live like we're kings. Trash the place. Now, you got to understand, I had only been saved a few weeks and I'm rolling up as a pizza driver, making my few bucks just to do the right thing before God. I used to be a drug dealer, used to do a lot of bad things. I was arrested eight times before I was even an adult. I was tore up from the floor up. I needed a checkup from the neck up. I was busted and disgusted. Can anybody relate to my testimony? If not, I'm just going to get free right now and encourage somebody else to be honest. This is my testimony. Your testimony might have been keeping a library book longer than you should have, okay? That might be yours, and the Lord's working with you on that, okay? I, I understand there's different folks in here, okay? But I'm just telling you my testimony. Say, say this is his testimony. Amen. When I, when I came to those friends and I saw them in the parking lot, I couldn't ignore them, you know? There was a part of me that had to talk to them and say, hey, what's going on? I, I want to know what you guys are doing. And then obviously... They were doing what I thought they were doing, and that was renting the hotel room for the weekend to do what they do. Do you know at that point, I had to make a decision. Do I want to be as a sanctified son, set free from my sin, or do I want to go back to the slavery of my sin? And I made a decision that day to keep on driving pizzas and to not stop and party with them. You see, it was that decision and decisions like that that kept me free. Go back up to that scripture. We're going to the meat right now, but I'll go back to the top bun. What does it say? If you believe in Jesus, you ought to hold to his teachings. Then you'll be his disciples. And then as a disciple, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you or make you free. Jesus has done his part to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus has done his part by giving us his word to teach us his morals. Now will you do yours and hold on to his teachings. When I talk to people who are backsliders, and backsliders mean you were once walking with God and now you slide back. When I talk to them, it's always the same. It doesn't matter what flavor of sin it was. It doesn't matter if it was adultery, cheating on their spouse, or just simply becoming backslidden in their love for God, stop reading their Bible and going to church. The excuse is always the same. I no longer hold to this and believe it like I once did. And if they go so far as to say, well, I still think it's true, but it's not working or something like that. It's still the same kind of lie, which is this doesn't work for everybody all the time. That there are certain sins that are too hard to overcome. 
There's too many pressures in the family, too many pressures at school for our young teenagers, or too much temptation online to expect purity from the people there. And they'll say something along the lines of, well, I'm not ready yet to go back to this in church and to do the Bible thing again. I'm going to stay where I'm at, and I'm going to come back at another time. You know what they're counting on? They're counting on there being another time. Do you have tomorrow in your pocket? Do you have next week? You don't own it. You don't have tomorrow. And you know what they're saying is? Is they're saying that their pleasure is better than their freedom. And can I just tell you here today, no matter what your sin of choice is, your sin, my sin, all sin leads to death. death. That temporary pleasure of the sin is never worth it. If I said to you, I can give you anthrax, but it will taste good while it goes down, are you going to drink it? If I say I can give you poison, but it's going to feel good for a little bit, do you want it? Of course not, because you know what the end result is. The problem with our culture, the problem with today's people is that they think God is going to judge them like Judge Judy, like how it used to be on the people's court. That there's going to be some humor up there. Some people are going to argue, make a little bit of a mess. And then some kind of judgment's going to come down. And then you get to decide whether or not you want to submit to it. Like, let Judge Judy try to get the car from me. I'm leaving here now, you know. The Bible says on judgment day, every mouth will be shut. Every knee will be bowed. Even those who do not want to bow. Every knee will be bowed. Every mouth will be shut. And everybody get this. You and I will see the face of the one who created the sun. We can't even look at the sun very long, but we'll see the face of the one who created the sun. When his friend John, the apostle John in the book of Revelation, saw the resurrected Jesus in a glorified state, the same John who had laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, the same John who had spent much time with Jesus, when he saw the resurrected Jesus, the Bible says he fell down as if he was dead right at his feet, passed right out. There will be no time on Judgment Day to ask God then for forgiveness and freedom. Look at what it says here in the meat of the passage. Whoever, verse 34, sins, this is Jesus talking, is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. Well, I thought we're all God's creation, we're all God's family, and when we die, we go to a better place. That's not true. Not everybody who dies gets to be in the house of God. I said, not everybody who dies gets to go to a better place. Are you all listening? I'm preaching to you today because I want you to go there. But not everybody by default gets to go there. He says, now slaves, those who are slaves to sin, have no permanent place in the family. You're here now. And let me just tell you something. This is not hell. Sometimes people say this is hell on earth. I'll agree with you to a point. This is what it looks like when hell gets to come and mess with us on earth. Satan brings a taste of hell onto earth, but there's also a taste of heaven on earth, isn't there? Have you ever held a newborn child? That's a taste of heaven. Have you ever fell in love? Have you ever done something that you were proud of, made something, you know, built something, and were able to see the work of your hands and feel the pride of your work? That, that's a taste of heaven, all of that. But yes, there is evil here as well. We have fallen since the time of Adam and Eve when we had the choice of good and evil. We should have stuck with life, but we chose to have a choice between good and evil. And how are we doing at those choices between good and evil? Seems to be a lot more evil than there seems to be good. But this is not hell. This is a taste of hell. What hell is, is the place where God sends sinners, those who do not belong in the family, to be for eternity. That's a sad thought, isn't it? As I've said before, my sister died drinking and driving. Bible is very clear. No drunkard shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's Galatians chapter 5, written by the apostle Paul. If my sister did not have any time to repent like the thief on the cross did in his last moments of death. My sister is in hell and has been there since the day she died over 15 years ago. She's in a place called hell, 
a tormenting place. A place that Jesus described, not to scare us as little children like the chupacabra. Did I say that right, the chupacabra? Yeah, you all taught me about the chupacabra. You all taught me that. Some of your parents told you about that. You better, you better do these things or the chupacabra going to get you, right? Hell is not the chupacabra of the Bible. It's a reality. It's a fact. Jesus told a story about a man who went there, and they were able to communicate with him. He was a rich man on earth. He was so desperate for the pain to leave and for the thirst to be quenched that he begged another man that he could see that was in heaven to dip his fingers in water to put him on his tongue, to basically suck on his fingers. He said, put his, have a man come down here with some water on his fingers so I can suck on him. That is crazy. You've know, you got to be thirsty as a man to ask another man to do that for you. Men, I've been thirsty before, but I've never asked you to dip your hand in water so I can suck on it. Can I hear an amen? I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just being real with you. I would rather pass out than have that thing happen. We're not doing that. You get what I'm talking about? Like, we're not doing that. Like, I'm going to deal with my thirst and not do that. But how much torment do you have to be in for Jesus to tell the story that at that time there was a area they could go to and see each other. That place has now been dissolved. It's a, another place that they're in now. It's, the Bible talks about after Jesus going there, he now took the good all the way up into God's presence. But there used to be a place in the place of the grave called Sheol where those in hell could see paradise. It wasn't technically heaven, but it was a place of paradise and they could see each other. Now paradise has been brought to heaven. But listen to me. Jesus talked about it like that. You know what else he said? He said it's a place where the worm dieth not. So you get this idea of the worms crawling in and out of your flesh. Theologians have debated this. Is this part of the torture that physically affects us? Or is there something that the worm stands for? That something is, is, is metaphorical here in the worm. And so either way, I don't want worms crawling in and out of me. Can I hear an amen to that? So whether it's phys physical or whether it's metaphorical, I don't want anything to do with worms for eternity, okay? But you know what some have said that it might be? Is the worm could be the memory of all the chances that you had to live for God, to be set free, to be brought into the family of God, but you refused. And so as a worm crawls in and out of the carcass of something that is dead, those who are in hell will have the worms of their memory crawl in and out bringing to them the shame of that decision that they're there for. In other words, there will be no one in hell saying, this is an accident. This is something that the angels got wrong. Peter, check and see if my name's written down. This is not an accident. This is something for eternity the person in hell will be reminded of. And they will know, I am here because I have rejected Jesus Christ my Savior, and my liberator. And I remained a slave to sin for the temporary pleasure of it. Now, I don't want us to live in that place of slavery to sin. How many want to be in the Father's house set free by the Son of God? Amen. So if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Now the choice is up to us. The place has been set before us. You've read the Psalm 23. He prepareth a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right now, there is a world that doesn't like this message. They want everybody to go to heaven regardless of what they believe. They want every lifestyle to be accepted. And they don't want a preacher like me preaching Jesus' truth that they need to be set free or else they'll go to hell. Who are you to make an ultimatum? Well... I'm just a nobody telling everybody about a somebody that told you that ultimatum. I didn't write it. I can just read it. Amen? So if you have a problem with me, take it up with my boss and talk to him about it. And if they say to him, how dare you? Now the Bible gives an illustration of this. Can the clay pot argue with the potter? It can't. The idea that we who are made of dust are now going to argue against the one who created us about how he runs things, it will not work, nor will it happen. The first reason why it will not happen is because we're a walking contradiction in that moment, and God doesn't have time for nonsense. How can dust 
that has been animated with spirit, given mind, and understands logic, now argue with the greatest mind that gave it the logic. Do you think we're going to outthink the one who gave us the ability to, th to think? Do you think we're going to come up with logical reasons to outsmart and beat God at chess when he invented the very game, the very mind, the entire moral structure? The first thing that I say back to somebody is they say that your God is a moral monster. He is evil. He's not loving. I say define morals, evil, and love without my God's standard. It's like trying to build a house while you're skydiving. Do you think you can lay concrete 30,000 feet up in the air falling 120 miles an hour? Can you lay yourself a foundation then? Jesus said, my words are a foundation. Whoever hears them and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And when the winds and the storm came and beat against that house, the house stood. The word of God is our rock and our foundation. I'll take that over the hot air of men and women. Because our hot air will not change God's plan. And so on November 5th, 1995, I dedicated my life to Christ. I heard him calling me to repent of my sins, not to argue with him about whether they were sins, but to repent of them and to admit that they were sins, not to try to defend them by my culture, by my proclivities or my personal preferences. Well, God, I like to have sex with multiple women without being married. Get over it, you know. You made me a sexual being, so why are you blaming me for this? No, no, no. I didn't try to have a debate with God as foolish as that has been done and tried in the past. I repented. Forgive me, God, I've sinned. I've been perverse in my sexuality. Make me pure. From that day forward, November 5th, I didn't have sex again until 2005. When I got married, now I've been married almost 18 years. I don't, I don't wish during those 10 years that I could have illicit sex. I'm thankful that I waited because God made me a born-again virgin and I got to have the best. You see, each one of you now need to make a decision. Do you want to be with God in his house? Or do you want to make excuses? Because you can't have both at the same time. You can't be a slave and a son at the same time. God was very clear that you're one or the other. Can I hear an amen? Now let's go to the other bun. As I've said before, we've been going through John verse by verse, and I've read through this passage all together in a certain sermon. But today I just want to give you the buns and the meat in the middle. Here now is the bun, the, first, uh, the last bun. The first one was whoever knows the truth, the truth will set you free. The meat in the middle is that you can't be a slave to sin and a son at the same time. You can only be a son or a slave, one or the other. And if Jesus sets you free, you're a son that's free indeed. Amen? And now the last bun. Here at the bottom of this sandwich, he teaches us why this is all possible. Is Jesus merely a good teacher? Is he merely a religious figure like we've seen come and go? According to Jesus and his own words, he is the unique son of God, equal to God in his nature. In other words, there's Father God, there's Son God and Holy Spirit God, or God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Blessed Trinity here, not because it came from the Roman Catholic Church, though there are many things that I protest in what they do. I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I thank God for those in the past who have preserved the Word of God for us and the doctrines of Scripture. And the Trinity is a part of our scriptures. We're not there because of philosophy, or we don't arrive there because of philosophy. Though philosophy is good, it's the love of wisdom. Philo, and then Sophia is wisdom. Philio is love, and Sophia is wisdom, the love of wisdom. But it's not because of that. It's because of Jesus' own words. The next few words that you're going to hear from Jesus, put him into one of three categories according to C.S. Lewis. Jesus is either going to be a liar in these next few words, He's going to be a lunatic, or he is who he says he is, the Lord of glory. In other words, he will not confuse you. He will not mix words with metaphor. He will come clearly to the forefront, take his stand on the witness stand, and bear witness to who he is for everyone to hear. Can I hear an amen? 
Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Jesus has now just said he receives a glory from the one they know as God the Father in a way that no one else has ever received. God is his unique Father, and he receives glory from him in a way that no one else gets. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus says, I've met with your religious father, the father of your faith. Because they only have one God, the father, but there are fathers of influence, fathers of their religion. He is saying, I have met with your father, Abraham, and he was happy to see me. Is Jesus a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? Let's keep going. You are not yet 50 years old, they said. And you've seen Abraham. This was thousands of years ago. And yet you've seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I want you to think about the words he just said. Not only did I meet with Abraham and he got happy to see me, but before Abraham was even in a twinkle in his mother and father's eyes, I am. Has anybody ever read the Bible before and heard who is the I am? That is God himself. We will now show you that, but look at their response. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Jesus knew it was not yet his time, but he had just told them, I am the great I am. Go to Exodus 3.14. Who is Jesus to you? Because anything less then Jesus being fully God as a man, fully man, will not save you. You must have the right doctrine and belief of who Jesus is. If Jesus is just a good man, a good man cannot save you. The Bible says that God alone is our Savior, that God himself will provide the lamb. If you remember the story about Abraham, we will get into a little bit of today, but he himself God himself is the only one who can save us. Notice when God is speaking to Moses, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Who did Jesus say he was? I am. That is our Jesus. Now I want you to think about this just for a moment. God came in the flesh. The Son of God, equal to the Father. He's not the Father, but he shares the same nature as the Father. He's not the Holy Spirit, but he shares the same nature of the Holy Spirit. Let me just show you a picture of the Trinity because I see some new folks for the baptism. We're glad you're here. Remember when Jesus was baptized? There's the Son in the water. Who's speaking from heaven? The Father. And what does he say? This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then who comes to rest on him? The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Amen? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a picture of the Trinity. All three equally share the nature of God, but they're not the same person. Just like we can all equally share the same nature as humans, we're not different kinds of humans. We equally are humans, but we are not the same person. God is even greater than the example that I gave in that the unity that the three persons share is 100% transparent where I don't know everything you think or you don't know everything I think. These three are one in purpose and in mind, though they are three distinct persons. At the end of Matthew, Jesus said, go and baptize in the name, singular, not names, but in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which we'll be doing today. There you have the one name of the I Am, which will then be modified into the famous name Jehovah or Yahweh. I am is the root word of Jehovah and Yahweh. Jehovah is the German translation. Yahweh is the Hebrew translation. So you may know it as that, that God's name is Yahweh or God's name is Jehovah, but it comes from the root of the 
the I am that I am statement here. Can I hear an amen? Going back to what Jesus said, look at that passage. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. Can I encourage everyone here today that being a son of God is not just a religious thing that you do. You are placing your hands or your life in the hands of your creator. Jesus is not just a good man. He is the God man. He is the one that has known us before we knew ourselves. He has walked among us and visited us at different times throughout history. And yet when he came for everyone to see at that time, what was the greatest display of his love? Dying on the cross. Some people may ask, well, how could God die if he's God? Well, let me ask, what do you think death is? Do you think death is non-existence or is death the removal of your body? When you die, do you stop existing? No, what lives on? Your soul. So death does not equal non-existence. What is death? Separation from your body. Hello. When Jesus died on the cross, did his spirit stop existing as God? He just separated from his body. So don't get confused with he's God. How can God die? How can God use the bathroom? How can God eat as Jesus certainly did? Jesus took on an earth suit to come be with us just like I would put on a space suit to go be at the spaceship. Does everybody get that? If I put on a space suit, do I stop being human? If God puts on an earth suit, does he stop being God? God did not stop being God when he became man. He just added humanity to his divinity. Not mixing them as you would mix flour and sugar and then they become indistinguishable. But like olive oil and water, they are distinguishable, his two natures, just like you're not your body. And when you leave this body, you'll see that you are spirit in nature and physical. Can I hear an amen? The very soul of Jesus in his essence, divinity. The very body made of flesh and blood, just like ours, except without the sin nature passed on from Adam and Eve. That's why he was born of a virgin. Did you ever wonder why? Why is he born of a virgin? He's born of a virgin because he leapfrogs over all of humanity that's been born with sin. Even though God is merciful to children, we don't have to baptize them if they pass. Before their conversion, all children belong to the kingdom of God. Jesus said that. But Jesus taught that we're born again at a point of decision in our life when we know our conscience, we know ourself, and we are to be born again so that we can have what he had. He's born of a virgin so he can restart humanity. Now, everybody get this. What does humanity do with God the Son? They crucify him. Why? So that they can remain slaves in sin. And yet, what does he use? The greatest, the greatest tragedy that humanity has ever known, the death of God in that sense, killing God in the flesh. What does God use for that? As our brother prophesied today, he takes what was meant for evil and turns it for good and says, now I can relate to being an innocent victim, the lamb slain, the Bible says, from the foundation of the world. This was God's plan all along that no one would ever be permanently a slave, that everyone here could have a choice to come out of slavery, that slavery that came upon us because we chose the ways of the devil. And Adam and Eve, all humanity was. If you say, that's a bum deal, I would have done different. No, look at your life today. You don't do different even now. Many of you sin even now. What do you think you would have done? If, if God would have waited around and let all 8 billion of us try our shot at being Adam and Eve, it would just wasted his time and God doesn't waste time. Adam and Eve represented what all of us would do in that state. But notice this. When Jesus is talking with them, he gives them a telescope, not to that which lies ahead, but to that which been behind. They now can see where he's always been. Go to Genesis 18 quickly in closing today. And this is the sandwich today. If you know Jesus, you're set free from your sin. Isn't that a great sandwich? Those who came at the beginning, you understand that? The bun is the promise of freedom. The meat is what freedom looks like. It's not being a slave to sin, but being set free by God. And the bottom bun that holds it all together is the one we're trusting for our spiritual freedom. The one that the person is being baptized today, trusting, has been there from the very beginning. This one cannot fail. 
As Hebrews says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever the same. The same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why when I first became a Christian, it was hard for me to tell my testimony because I thought, what if I stop doing this? Everybody's going to think, man, Joe's a hypocrite. I've been set free from drugs. And then the next time I'm delivering pizza, I meet my boys and start smoking weed. Man, that's a dumb testimony. How long were you set free from? Well, I, I, you know, free from drugs. Well, I was set free for a month. It's like jailhouse religion. Everybody wants Jesus once they're in jail. They're changed and, and, and innocent, right? But then go out and go back to everything else. Listen, listen, listen. This is not based on my ability nor your ability. This is based on, look at it, Genesis 18, 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near, near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men. We know the other two in Genesis 19 are going to be angels. They're going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. When he saw them, he hurried at the entrance. He met them, bowed down to them, and he said, If I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass. Let a water be brought, and then let's eat together. And then they do all of these wonderful things. But who did Jesus say that was? Who did Jesus say that was? Bible class. Go back to the scriptures. Don't get nervous. Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. He said, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Go back to Genesis 18.1. Genesis 18.1. Who? appeared to Abraham that day and made him glad and said, man, let me pull out some food. Let's have a get together. That's Jesus. Go to Zechariah chapter 2. Do you know that what I'm building up for you right now is what Christians have always believed? That Jesus is not just a person that came into being on Christmas Day. That he's been here with us this whole time, sent by the Father to always meet with us, to always spend time with us. And yet when he came in the flesh, that was to die for us. And now some do not accept him. And yet he's been there this whole time wanting to meet with him. Look at Zechariah chapter 2 verse 10. Notice you'll see two people talking together in heaven. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you. Declares who? The Lord, the great I am, right? Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my gente, mi gente, my people. Come on. I will live among you and you will know, watch this, that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Put on the brakes right there. We got two people talking to each other, both bearing the name of Lord. Remember when we baptize, we don't baptize in the names, plural, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We baptize in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Father bears the name of the great I Am. The Son bears the name of the great I Am. And so does the Holy Spirit. And here they are talking to each other. Jesus says, I will live among you, declares the Lord. This is what you want to show to your Jehovah Witness friends who only think the Father is Yahweh. But Jesus is a created angel that gets to act like Yahweh. No, 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 baby. That's idolatry. I don't worship an angel named Jesus. I worship the Son of God equal to the Father. And his name is Yeshua. The Lord saves. But notice this. He says, I'm going to come among you. I'm going to be with the whole world like I've been with Abraham. Remember, he came down to be with Abraham, and Jesus talked about that. But he says, not only am I going to do that with Abraham, I'm going to do that with all my people and all the nations. And then in that day, highlight this, you will know the Lord Almighty sent me to you. Is that God talking to himself? Or it's like some of the friends that we have that talk about themselves in the third person? Hey, man, Joe's been really happy. Joe's really happy. You know, Joe sent Joe here today to tell you that I'm really happy with you. I can't wait to hang out with you. How many of you would look around and be like, Joe, who are you talking about? Joe, why are you talking about yourself like that? It's kind of weird, Joe. I used to have one friend that used to talk about himself all the time like that. That's not God. He's not playing with us. He's, he's saying, I'm going to come live among you, and you're going to know that my Father has sent me to you because we see two persons bearing the name of Lord there. Now go down just a little bit. Would someone come to the keyboard, please, in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. 
This is the same kind of thing just a few verses later. Then he showed me Joshua. So Zechariah is a prophet. He's seen visions. Now he sees Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Okay, so he sees Joshua, and he sees an angel of the Lord. And now what does he see next? And Satan standing at his right hand or his right side to accuse him. So everybody see what the prophet sees? Okay, what does the prophet see first? What's that guy's name? Joshua. Okay, we're taking our time today. Everybody's excited for baptism. I just got to finish the message. We'll go there. Okay, we'll go there. But I want you all to track with me. Who does Zechariah see first? He sees who? Joshua. He sees then next to Joshua, the angel of who? The Lord. And then who else does he see? Satanas, right? So he sees Joshua, the high priest. He sees an angel. And then he sees Satan. Now watch what he sees next. The Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a man, a, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? So do you think God's tricking us in this way? He's talking about himself in the third person. Hey, Joe says, Joe rebukes you. And there's this one person standing there? No. When you look at the pictures of heaven, it's always the Father and then the Son next to him and the Holy Spirit flowing from their throne. We see these three people here, Joshua, an angel, who is not the one that's going to be talking in just a moment. And then we see Satan, these three people, and then now we see two people talking like the Lord. The one starts to speak directly to Satan. And then he tells him, who rebukes him? The Lord that's sitting next to him. Go to Revelation 22 if you don't believe me. How many think the word is pretty cool? The word of God's pretty cool. If you work it, it will work for you. Why am I reading this scripture to you? Because you need someone to rebuke Satan on your behalf. And an angel can't do it. A priest can't do it. You need the Son of God to do it. You and I need Jesus to speak to the devil and say, get out of his life. Get out of her life. You and I need a relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? This is the end of the book now. Then the angel showed me the river of life, the water of life, the Holy Spirit, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb that flowed down the middle of the great street of that city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. See, we go back to that place, that place where Adam and Eve fell. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. You no longer will be cursed. Why? Because there will be no curse there. The throne of God and of who? The Lamb. See, God and the Lamb sharing the same throne, the Father and the Son, will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. There'll be no more need of a lamp or a light, even of the sun. The Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. How many here want to be set free by Jesus? Would you stand up and give Jesus a great big round of applause? We thank you, Lord. Gracias, Señor. Hallelujah. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Would you remain standing as we get ready to pray and dismiss? Those who are beginning baptized, I pray that this word encouraged you and that the friends and family you invited heard it clearly. That the Son of God has come to die for our sins so that we may live for Him and reign with Him forever and ever. With every